This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm registered representative for Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. The discussion is not tied to the offers of investment products and views our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. Really going to have a great show today. We're going to be focusing on what is happening in the global economy, one of the key risks we see in China with two very special guests, Maria Bartiromo of Fox Business, Leland Miller of China Beige Book. Uh, but before we get to this key topic, Professor, uh, the jobs report today, shocking people. We've got ripples across all markets, equities, fixed income, gold. Uh, what's your sense of this shocking report? Uh, well, uh, Jeremy, you know, anyone who's been following us on Behind the Markets shouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, a thousand points. Um uh, you know, approaching all-time highs, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that all that liquidity that the Fed has provided, as we've been saying repeatedly, was very bullish for stock markets. Remember, I also called the end of the 40-year bull market in bonds three months ago, and Today, yields jumped up to, uh, well, at 1.95 basis points on the 10-year. I, I, I say we will never in our lifetime see the yields as low as we saw them on the on the 10-year bond. Um, this is just the beginning of the march up of yields, but the, the strength of the economy is, is, is definitely um, going to be fed by all this liquidity. Um, uh, we... we uh, of course, as a result of the reopening, we've got this huge shift towards value stocks, huge shift towards the stocks that were most depressed uh, away from those high-flying technologies. Oh, by the way, NASDAQ is not doing badly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still okay, but we're getting now outperformed, particularly financials, which have been so beat down, are so extraordinarily strong uh, now, I mean, the, the airlines are just, I mean, again, had been so beat down beginning. This reopening that we see. Now, let me just, you know, put throw a word of caution in here. You know, we see there's big reopening. We've all seen the videos in Vegas. Um, we've seen a lot of people mixing, a lot of people without distancing. A really key aspect is going to be one or two weeks from now do we see a spike in cases or not um because if we do not then um this virus has really subsided in this summer forgetting about what might happen in the fall 
this will really encourage a much faster opening up. But I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see. I'm not going to be the first one in those casinos um, or the first one in their airplane. But if I don't see a spike in uh, uh, cases, uh, you know, I, I would certainly consider following. There's a really interesting anecdote I saw in a, in a note this morning from Citadel that the Hard Rock Biloxi in its first 10 days of reopening uh, had, uh, this goes to your point on all the liquidity in the checking accounts, all the uh, relief measures provided, they saw slot and table winds that were 30 and 150% higher than the same period the last year. So that sort of really confirms what you're talking about there. Um, let me bring in Maria Bartiromo because she's talking with uh, – all sorts of CEOs, executive strategists uh, on what's happening in the economy, probably plugged in as much as anybody in this country. Maria, thank you for joining us on Behind the Markets. And what is your sense of, is this is this jobs report confirming everything you're hearing on your show? You know, uh, it's great to talk with you, Jeremy and, and Professor Siegel, and uh, happy to talk with Leland later. Uh, look, I, I think that um, it was a shocker to a lot of people today to see a job creation because we were expecting another uh, another month of job losses and i think it's a good signal and indicator that as things open up we are going to see uh normalization and we will see snapbacks in certain industries which is great i mean you know it, it, there's also a real movement uh, to fire up the manufacturing base once again in this country, which is very important given the fact that it was the um, the services areas that really got crushed in the shutdown. And I think today what you saw in that jobs uh, number was even those areas saw job creation. You had 1.29 million jobs created, I believe, in leisure and, and hospitality, which is really one of the beaten down groups. So I was, I was happy to see it. I think it's, you know, one month is one month, uh, but I do think that, um, it's in line to meet my expectations that we see growth in the third quarter and a, a nice uh, growth showing in the fourth quarter. Let me bring in Leland Miller also because he's Chief Executive Officer of China Beige Book International, one of the world's leading analytic economic forecasting firms focused on China. Leland, the virus sort of started in China. You guys have some of the early reads into what's happening. I've seen some stats that the China flight activities, they're up to close to where they were before. What is your sense on reading uh, of what's, what's happening in China? Yeah, the, the trick of explaining how this is going is avoiding the word recovery, because that in some ways doesn't have any meaning when you had an economy shut down back in February. And of course, improvements since then. So you're having a recovery, but you, what does that mean? Uh, as we look at the data, the various sectors look very different depending on what you're looking at. Manufacturing and services in our latest results uh, had just moved into expansionary territory. They've been mired in contraction for, for months now. Retail is still in the doldrums. They're doing very poorly. You do not see the bounce back yet in consumer spending. So this is an economy that's improving, and people are going back outside. But what you're seeing first and foremost are the areas of the economy that the government can sort of push forward. Let's get factories up and running again. Let's get them cranking out product, output, et cetera. That's bouncing back. Demand is slow. Uh, so the question is, is over this summer whether we're going to see demand return in the way people expect or whether this so far is just a supply-side recovery. I think also what's important here, and, and, and you bring it up, you know, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of very interesting. 
Um, at the very beginning, um, you know, in December and January when, uh, and, and, and February, early February, when China was wrestling with controlling it, everyone here was worried about the supply side. Oh, how am I going to get the product? They're all closed down in China and all the rest. Now it's flipped. China can work, but they've got to worry about the demand side in the rest of the world. Uh, they're, they're seeing their own, you know, international orders and many things slow down because of the uh, worldwide slowdown in spending uh, brought about by the virus. So it's sort of a flipped from, you know, oh, you know, can we get those Chinese working? Now, hey, the Chinese can be working, but hey, do I, <laughs> are they buying our products? Well, look, I'm wondering if you're seeing any of, 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 of that uh, in, in the data that you analyze. Yeah, that's exactly uh, the most important dynamic. I mean, when you talk about supply chains, it's not just about supply chains going down during a down economy, then they bounce back up when, 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 when there's a recovery. The biggest problem with the Chinese recovery right now is that in the first quarter, you saw pretty solid demand, external demand. People wanted to buy Chinese inputs in their products, and, and yet the Chinese economy shut down. So they couldn't produce what was needed in order to go into everybody else's uh, products around the world. As China recovered, the rest of the world shut down. So you flipped from having not enough Chinese output and too much, too much in a way, foreign demand, to having no foreign demand just as Chinese production is recovering. So the fact that these have been timed in, a, in an off way has made it more and more difficult for there actually to be a recovery, of course in China, but also around the world. So getting this straightened up uh, will, be a, will be a major factor for the next three months. Now, now, Maria, you are, are focused on some of the, the political issues that come from China. And, you know, there was the China phase one trade deal where they were committing to buy uh, all, you know, 250 billion of goods, agricultural goods from us. What's your sense? Are they are they living up to their fulfillments? Will they live up to their fulfillments? No, I don't think that they're going to live up to the fulfillment. I'm just, you know, I, I think that you know, right now, given what has taken place with the coronavirus and the downplaying of it uh, initially in China has sort of opened opened the country's eyes to a different look at what's going on in China and to opening people's eyes to some of the behavior that has been taking place for a long time, like um, the continued theft of intellectual property. And like um, the forced transfer of technology certainly is something that this administration has talked about for a long time, just unfair, you know, practices with regard to access. You know, they've got, you know, all the access they, they'd like in the United States, and yet there is limited access if you want to operate in China. I mean, certain financial services companies just recently got licenses to actually own um, out and out your own financial services company there like a JP Morgan but that has been a long time coming and it still is not very broad uh, in terms of real ownership so there's that and then there of course are the things around the Chinese stocks the Chinese companies trading on US exchanges where you have um, the these companies not following the same accounting standards that that US companies do and this is another Sort of leverage point that this administration is using to hold China accountable. You know, then I, so I think that the coronavirus has opened a, a new can of worms that we are now in, in, in some regard, a bit of an economic cold war, frankly. And you know, you see, you know, back and forth in terms of uh, limiting access and pushing back. Um, so I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I'm just not expecting 
the, the Chinese Communist Party to fulfill its commitment. Um, I think that when I interviewed the president two weeks ago, he said something like, uh, well, you know, I heard now they want to renegotiate the deal and I'm not going to renegotiate the deal. Um, and he, the sentiment around China has just gotten so much more negative. So I, I, I think that there's more to come on this, and I think we will see real pushback from this administration. You've got 60 bills right now, 60-plus bills right now in Congress um, from different facets of the Chinese relationship, whether it be moving supply chains from America to the U.S. or you know putting sanctions on individuals that are trying to limit freedoms in Hong Kong, breaking that commitment to um, you know, making sure that Chinese companies uh, follow accounting rules in the United States or they get delisted or pulling the money from the thrift fund, uh, which is, you know, 50 to $60 billion and, and stopping it from putting uh, money into the MSCI index because some of those companies are Chinese and they are, in fact, some of them are sanctioned and others are, are building weaponry for the Chinese military. You know, and I think when you see the behavior of an overreach with the Communist Party now, you know, backtracking on Hong Kong and saying, well, you know, um, it's, a, it's a crime if you, don't, if you don't respect the Chinese national anthem and we want to try you in, in, China, in mainland China. That, and then you've got troops right now as we speak face-to-face on the border of China and India. Uh, so there's that overreach. And, of course, they said that they would not militarize the South China Sea, and they've done that as well. I mean, Leland has uh, a, a lot of uh, info on this as well, I know. But I, I think that all of this collectively has, has turned... Um, a lot of people off, and it has opened up a new cold uh, partnership or, or lack of partnership between the U.S. and China. I think it gets worse. Before we go to Leland, let me just reintroduce quickly uh, the show. We're talking with Maria Bartiromo of Fox Business News. We've got Professor Siegel, Leland Miller of China Beige Book. I am Jeremy Schwartz. Professor Siegel, before we get to Leland on what his take, I mean, there's a lot in what Maria just said. Um, in terms of the market implications, I mean, what's fascinating is always the disconnect between all the, the, the uncertainty and markets. So China's been outperforming broad emerging markets, uh, China tech in particular. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the key issues that the U.S. markets grappled with was the the trade war negotiations, spout, however you characterize all that, what's your sense of just the anxiety levels, the tension levels rising and being that being the next key thing we're focused on here in the U.S.? Well, I, I agree with uh, Maria. I, I mean, this is, this is definitely a risk um, of, a, of, a, uh, of a Cold War, economic war, um, I mean, you know, they have ways to retaliate. I mean, you know, American pro- products are loved, uh, you know, uh, Apple, et cetera, in China. Um, and, uh, you know, if we restrict, they could restrict. It isn't good for uh, either country. At the same time, uh, the abuses of the Chinese are, are certainly there and manifest. Uh, there's no question in the public relation, uh, public uh, opinion polls, are, are turning very negative of, of the general public towards Chinese practices, and and by the way, both on by Democrats and Republicans. Um, uh, I I think clearly uh, Trump is planning to make uh, the an anti-Chinese stance as one of his stances in uh, the uh, re-election uh, campaign, and I think it will resonate with uh, quite a, f- a few people. Uh, then, then again, at the, at the same time, um, uh, you know, a lot of the products <laughs> that are bought in, for in, uh, in in a lot of stores, especially by 
some of the more moderately income people, dollar stores, et cetera, and so on, um, even in pockets where there are big Trump supporters, do come from China now. So are you going to raise the prices of those? Uh, how, you know, how, how is this going to play? This is a really, a really, uh, a really complex issue. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I think, listen, I mean, there's a lot of emerging markets outside of China, but China is huge and it's a, and, 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 you know, and it, it has, it's, well, it could, it's, it's equal to the U.S. in the size of the economy and GDP. So if there's a Cold War where we restrict on each one, it's, it's really going to be bad for both. And let's hope, you know, we can, we can stop short of that. I think they need us. I think we need them. And um, I think you know, the market clearly, I think, wants to see a resolution. They don't react well when there's increased tensions every single time there's some move on on one part or the other you can see the market immediately pull back when there's a lessening of that you see the market moving ahead so there's no question about the verdict of the market but i certainly like maria's uh, and and the other uh, you know you both of your opinions on on this issue so leland what's your I mean, there was a lot there in in what maria and professor Hugh said how's your sense of how these these negotiations are are happening I think Maria did a good job running down the entire list of ways in which, you know, U.S.-China relations are starting to break at the seams. The interesting thing is the phase one trade deal has a real importance here, but it's not for what everyone thinks. Uh, When we started, the goals were almost unattainable to start with. When we got into COVID, they became unobtainable. There is no way, as Maria said, that the Chinese can possibly adhere to the agreement as it's written now. Uh, now, they can hit some agricultural targets. They could even exceed them, which is one of the reasons I think the president doesn't quite want to walk away from the deal yet, because there's still some things to be gotten from it, even if they're not what he originally bargained for. But the phase one trade deal is important. Another reason, because it's one of the restraints right now that is holding back a much tougher stance to the United States. To the extent you see the phase one trade deal become more and more uh, indefensible over the next several months. I mean, look at trade data yesterday. You saw uh, uh, goods exports down massively compared to 2017, uh, up on the U.S. side. Uh, Service exports down even more. Uh, This is not becoming a very good comparison for the president to make. And as I think he has more and more pressure to walk away from the deal, you get to a point where the one restraint from a much tougher stance on China falls away. And I think you have an extremely toxic relationship between the U.S. and China as we go into the fall. So uh, this is this is going in one direction. But depending on how long phase one lasts, uh, will tell us whether this is something that happens in the short term. So in a matter of weeks or months, or whether this lasts a little bit longer. But we are definitely going in one direction and it is towards much, much uh, more heated tensions uh, with the Chinese. If, Maria, if you were picking one of the battlegrounds on the political side, and, and there's the issues with Hong Kong, there's the India borders, there's Taiwan, how is there one that is is going to be the spark that creates even more? Are they all just all culminating together? How do you see that all playing out? Well, I think, you know, the goal of um, the, the current leader, you know, Xi Jinping is now a dictator for life, and his goals have been very clear. He's talked about the Belt and Road strategy. He's talked about um, returning China to glory and the number one superpower, both economically and militarily. 
uh, in the coming 20 years. And so, you know, that's the goal. And, and just looking at what, you know, the Chinese Communist Party's goals are versus Donald Trump and America first, you can see that these goals are going to be in contrast, you know, and and not only that, but, you know, there's something called civil military fusion in China, which which basically means that any innovation that comes into the country from the commercial sector, from the private sector, must first go to the military. I mean, the military is the priority. So as the Communist Party continues to build its military, and Jack Keane, General Jack Keane, will tell you that it's the fastest growing military in the world, I think the world is, is, is going to be worried and watching this situation. I mean, I think the world would agree that you don't want a communist nation running the world. And so I think there will be a constant effort to stop China from becoming the largest military in the world. I think that, you know, probably one of the most significant impacts of the coronavirus and this new this new criticism or skepticism around China right now, uh, the, the most important element that comes out of this, I think, for the long-term impact on the U.S. is going to be the movement of the supply chain. You know, when we were in the middle of that pandemic, and I remember getting calls and speaking to sources that told me, and this was in February. Look, there are ships that they were they were on their way en route to America, uh, bringing us certain gear, masks, gloves. I mean, this is even like you know, NYU Medical, Langone, and, and New York Presbyterian. They they were waiting because they have contracts. They were waiting on on gear, and those ships were told turn around, send them back. We need them here in China. And so you know, in the middle of the pandemic, when Americans started understanding better that things like 90% of the active ingredients in our prescription drugs are made in China. So your antibiotics and your penicillin and your very important drugs that you need in the middle of this pandemic, we see uh, Chinese, you know, state-run media, the Global Times, coming out with a tweet saying, well, you know, maybe if uh, President Trump keeps uh, poking China on, on the tariffs, then we won't send those prescription drugs to America when they need them. I think these kinds of situations in the last three months have become a bit of a tipping point for some corporates. And they're saying, you know what, if I can't depend, then I'm going to get the products that are made in China when I need them, then maybe it's not worth it. Maybe the cheap labor and the cheap stuff and the lax environmental rules actually is not worth it. So you are going to see a movement of those supply chains back to America. And that's going to be one of the most important impacts of what we are living through right here. If you want to talk about what's most important, I would say the most important issue here is the overall strength of and their efforts to become the largest military power. Um, because this is a communist country. They are tracking all of their citizens. They are giving you a social score at the end of the year saying, well, you know, we don't like the fact that you smoke or you do this, you do that. So you won't be able to get on a train and you won't be able to travel. I mean, this is a communist, you know, state-run government, and that's the way it is. So I, I think that the world will start recognizing that you don't want this regime running the world and becoming the number one superpower, and I think you will see more alliances. You're seeing India get together with Australia and Japan, you know, we could see something. I mean, he's already done bilateral trade deals with Japan, with South Korea, et cetera. But you might see something on the order of not a complete TPP, but some kind of a partnership uh, with countries that are understanding the threat that, that is China. I mean, I think Europe is, is a place to watch because so far, even though just last week we saw the English-speaking the English allies like Canada, UK, Australia do a joint 
a joint press uh, release saying, you know, we are not going to, we are condemning what uh, the Chinese Communist Party is doing in Hong Kong. You know, you're seeing a lot of turnoffs on Huawei. But you have to ask yourself, where, where are the, uh, where is Europe? Where, where are, you know, Germany, France? Italy. They're still using Huawei Telecom. Pompeo came on the show last week. He said, "Look, I think they're getting it, but the fact is, is we're not going to sh- we're not going to share the kind of information that we would ordinarily share if they are using Huawei Telecom because there are back doors. And that information, whether it's information about the military, about intellectual property, that's going right back to the Chinese Communist Party, and they're stealing our data." Ma- Maria, uh, you, know, you mentioned an important thing. You said, you know, like with the prescription zone coming back to U- U.S. shores, but do they have to come back to U.S. shores, or no. the manufacturing, could they go to Vietnam, could they go to yeah. India, could they go to Thailand, yeah, uh, likely, where there is cheaper labor than the you. United States, uh, certainly to produce these, these goods? That's absolutely right. I agree with you 100%. And I think, you know, India is going to become increasingly important um, in terms of a manufacturing base. Yeah, it's probably too expensive for many to, to come back to America, but the point is, is get those supply chains out of China. And, uh, and I think we'll see more of that. We're talking with Maria Bartiromo of Fox Business, Professor Siegel, Leland Miller of China Beige Book. On um, one of the market's points that uh, and it ties into what some of them we were talking about on the sort of any technology developed, you know, the, the, the question on, on companies in the U.S. having to be delisted. I mean, I think the way I understand some of the accounting issues, and, and I'm not, I can't say I'm an accountant, so I understand every issue to the bottom, um, is that some of these big firms, um, the big tech firms in particular, are audited by, like, say, Ernst & Young uh, in the China, but that the, they don't have their documents. They can't come to the U.S., and China's going to make a big stand on these documents having to stay within China. Leland, is that your understanding? What do you think the, the risk is to people? Who, I mean, a lot of these big tech stocks have been leaders. They've been things that have been powering um, a lot of the China indexes higher. Do, do you see... I mean, what's your read on these being delisted over the next few years that, that they're talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of no-brainer policies that, that have been hanging out there for a while, and I think this is one of them. Because this isn't about targeting Chinese companies. It's not about kicking Chinese companies off exchanges. It's simply about applying uniform standards that apply to all companies, including U.S. companies, so that you have the same compliance rules and investors who are investing into these companies can have – uh, some sort of uh, confidence that there is a regulatory regime that, that's keeping them safe. And one of those is allowing, you know, audits, pickable audits, uh, and, and other things that, uh, that, that give people assurances that their books are being looked at and, and their numbers are real. So I think that this was a no-brainer policy to push forward. I, I will say that I, I think it's being uh, overhyped a little bit. It was necessary. It's, it's being overhyped a little bit in that nothing is going to happen on this. For a number of years. So even the legislation as it's written gives uh, companies three years where they have to certify something is not in, not in order for three straight years before the, any type of delisting would happen. Uh, we, you know, I doubt we will see Chinese companies kicked off exchanges. There'll be a war of words. Uh, those companies that are true powerhouses, the Baidu's, the Alibaba's, et cetera, who, anyone who's listed here and can list elsewhere, there might be some flirtations in terms of showing that they could operate in, in any market, and that's true. But the vast majority of Chinese companies that are on U.S. markets couldn't do as well, couldn't raise as much money if in Hong Kong or anywhere else. So this will be a pressure point on the Chinese 
if it's held firm, but it's a medium-term effect. And, you know, there will be a lot of pushback on this over the last couple of years to weaken this uh, or to make it less uh, less effective. But in any case, very little consideration here on effects in the short term uh, that, that should affect markets much. Lee, when do you think that there – I mean, you know, we all know what happened about luck and, luck and coffee. I mean, but then there's Alibaba. I mean – I, 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 the big companies seem real. Um, there's obviously abuses, as I said, in Luckin and and a, and a few others. Do you, do you think that how widespread do you think there is misreporting um, and uh, in 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 the statistics that are, are uh, significantly distorting the prices, or do you think that this is not something that is true of of the big companies? As, uh, as Jeremy has pointed out, that ha- have been powering uh, the indexes upward. No, I, look, I, I think that you can have great companies in China. I mean, Ali, what Alibaba has done, Baidu and Tencent and others, uh, there are certainly impressive companies. But when you're in an environment in which you're not being held to certain compliance standards, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to start bending the rules. You're going to start reporting things wrong. So I don't know which companies are doing what, but if you're in a regulatory environment which you're not being held to a set of standards, then over time those standards will be bent and then broken. So I would be surprised if there are not significant problems. Certainly certainly the books on the Chinese mainland are, are jokes. I mean, you talk about there being you know several sets of books, depending on whether the, you know for foreigners or for the, for the party and, and, and for, for, for other workers. Chinese balance sheets have been a joke for a long time, and I, I doubt that they're that much different in the larger companies. Um, you just have to have compliance and, and, and hold them to it, or, 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 or this will be a problem with anyone, Chinese companies or otherwise. Professor Seal, this reminds me about my when I first started working for you 18 years ago, and we said, you know, you couldn't trust the Enron and the WorldCom accounting standards. What do they have to do? They've got to pay dividends because you can't trust the earnings. I think uh, you see some of that. that they got to have to have to have dividends to pay the earnings. We're running out of time on the first half of our, our show here, but Maria, maybe just any thoughts as you see the situation evolving. Any other sort of closing thoughts on where you see the political environment going and, and how that's going to impact the market sort of bottom lines here? Yeah, and I think that, you know, you have to incorporate politics uh, in this environment, given it is an election year. And I think that, uh, as Professor Siegel said, this administration will use China as one of its um, leverage points in, in front of the American people going into the election. So I expect that we are going to see this hard stance. I've got in front of me this memorandum on protecting U.S. investors from significant risks from Chinese companies from the White House, um, which they put out yesterday. But I think to Leland's point, you know, this is a memo. This is not an executive order. This is a memorandum. And the president goes through all of the risks around Chinese companies. So the bottom line is I think that he's going to keep the pressure on China going into the election. Um, I think you are going to see this economic Cold War continue, and you're going to be talking about um, intellectual theft uh, through engineers coming to this country. Tom Cotton, Senator Cotton's talking about limiting visas. We may very well see more threats along those lines. Once, you know, after the election, if Trump wins, I think that he will continue a hard stance on this. If Biden wins, it's a completely different conversation. I don't think it's going to be that at all. So there is an element of short-termism where you'll see it get noisier and louder about this going into November, and then we'll have to see uh, which administration is in there to, uh, you know, to, to drive the, the partnership going forward. And I do agree that the president is going to keep uh, a relationship with China. 
uh, and has to, two largest economies in the world. But I think that he'll continue to uh, make this a point of, look, this was a campaign promise and I'm going to hold them accountable. I want fairness. Well, Maria Leland, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for taking your time with us. I know you're all very busy. Thank you so much for joining us on the program for some comments. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.